Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 142, Games, Learning, and Social Change. Presented by Tam Yang and Heather Wilson. All right, um, everybody, welcome. Uh, this is the panel or group discussion for games, learning, and social change. Um, we want to keep it very informal. Um, we don't claim to be experts on that matter, but uh, I personally have been doing stuff in that arena for about 10 years now. And um, I want to hear what other people are doing and, and get some ideas across and get that going. So with that, my name is Tam, Tam Yai, and um, I do game design. I've been doing game design since I was a teenager. Um, I got back into game design, and about 10 years ago, I started working with children's museums using game technology and game mechanics um, to do fun things. With, you know, with children's museums, there's a lot of play and um, um, interactives and stuff. And using game mechanics uh, really brings things together, uh, brings the subject material alive. So that's where I'm coming from. And I'm Heather. Um, so I've been designing games, tabletop games, with ninth level games for like four or five years now. Um, but I've worked in video games for over ten years, and obviously, social justice and learning issues are things that come up all the time in that world. Um, you know, whether we're designing characters for everybody or only a few people, and um, sort of like how we're going to get across the things that we want to get across to our players. So that's where I'm coming from. Okay, and I think since the group is fairly small, we can just quickly run around the group and tell you, uh, tell us where, you, where, you, what you, where you're coming from. Hi, I'm Arthur. Um, I am a versioning game developer, um, and I'm really interested in activism. So I think the spaces where those things intersect is really exciting and interesting to me. So that's why I'm here. Cool. I uh, am. My name's Tiffany, and I'm a game designer. Uh, I've got a company. Um, and I try to incorporate, I try to be inclusive in a lot of my games. Representation is really super important to me. I think it matters, and I think that with regard to social change, that representation is a huge piece of that. So that's uh, what interests me. Uh, my name is Jennifer, and I do a program on marketing, and I consider, um, because I do like, LARPs based on actual times in history, or dark psychological LARPs, and I've considered um, dabbling in a couple of topics to try to help people um, understand certain issues, like when it's climate change and things like that. I think, again, it can be really good. Hi everyone, I'm Carl. Um, 
spot but we're going around and saying like what our interest here is and who we are if you'd like if you, you don't have to do it so I'll skip that yeah cool Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm Jen uh, I've run a LARP with my partner Jeremy uh, we have been uh, over the past several years noticing there's definitely a push for more inclusive game space at our game in particular probably at games in general um, and we're just doing our best to incorporate that and sort of reshape things to uh, just designing to accept and extrapolate and make that more of a thing. Uh, I'm Rich. I'm nominally a game designer, uh, mainly a game player. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write games that I'm trying to be more inclusive games because I know that by default if I don't pay attention, I won't. Um, so, yeah. Um, Robin, uh, writing LARP with uh, a partner and a good friend of mine and kind of the same space as Jen. We know the world's changing and I'm just trying to stay on top of that and really make it accessible to everyone. Uh, Pete Patricia, I run a game company called Imagining Games. Uh, the game that I made tries to reinforce positive um, ideas like chasing your dreams and setting goals and achieving them and you can do that with any strategy you want as long as you just take every step until you get there. So I didn't think of this so much as being something about being inclusive, inclusivity but just making games that do more and that gamify things that we actually want to positively push into the world. So. Yeah. Digital games or? Um, tabletop tabletop game, games. Yeah. So with, with this topic, is, uh, it's very, really broad. I mean, we are bringing in things like educational games, which could be very simple, learn math or spelling. You know, that, that's the baby steps of games used for education to the more um, complex things like LOPs, where you are now talking about social change like, um, uh, and problems like uh, racism and immigration. So these are really complex topics and that runs a gamut of it. Now, in addition to that, one thing that I wanted to bring in was also games themselves that teaches players how to play the game. Because that's one aspect of learning in games and games do that, especially digital games for a while, they've been doing that really well. And it's only recently that we've started seeing that in tabletop as well, where um, you have introductory levels that teaches you step by step of how to play it. So eventually, you don't have to read this whole rule book, and you learn the game by playing it. Mm -hmm. So you know, that 
very different angles uh, that we can approach this topic. Um, Heather, do you want to add anything or any? Uh, yeah, um, so the way I approach this topic is I am super excited about the tabletop world because we can so quickly iterate on those type of changes that we want to see, right? Like, we don't have the long development cycles that are in the digital world, and I think sort of presenting games and the pastime of playing games as something that is um, edifying in a social way is really important. Right, and finally, um, maybe a lot of people, maybe everybody here with, is aware, but maybe a lot of the general public is not aware, is that we are affected by game mechanics in our daily lives, starting from frequent flyer programs, you know, very simple mechanics used to do things that you may not, not necessarily think about doing. Um, so there are things that are already out there, game mechanics that are affecting our decisions uh, outside of that space. So that's the, the fourth thing that yeah. games are being used. And are those games fair in a social way? And like when we look at those games and systems, like how are they addressing their larger audience and what changes can we make or suggest to those systems to make them more fair to everyone? Now for me personally as a game designer, what I think I'm really doing is I'm find, trying to find a way to reprogram your mind. I'm a programmer, a software programmer, but when I'm designing a game, I'm trying to think how do I rewire somebody's, I'm using your brain as a template, really, I mean, that's what game design is. So it's a really scary uh, thought that you might be doing it, I mean, I might be doing something simple, but if you take that and extrapolate where we could go, that is where we're going, so, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. kind of, you know. <laughs> And I, again, come at it from the other end because right now I'm in community management. So I'm looking at it from the very squishy angle of how do I present this information in a persuasive but non-manipulative way to get the correct emotional result, right? So like in community management, occasionally I have to deal with harassment issues. And how do I convey those issues to those players without like, hitting them with a hammer because that never works. What I need to do is find a way to present why it's wrong in the system that we're existing in and why it's wrong in the specific interaction that that player had. And so for me as a community manager, one thing I look at when I'm looking at the games I'm playing and the games I'm working on are how do I enforce those ideas in the game, right? Like how can I create a system that rewards people behaving positively to their fellow players, depending on the type of game it is, and disincentivizes them behaving in a really negative way that doesn't make things better for anyone. And then even there, there are inherent judgments about what I think is correct socially versus what someone else does, but I always fall on the side of, is this something that builds people up or does it tear them down? And my preference will always be something that builds people up. Um, at this point, does anyone have an example of a game or um, experience that they have gone through that uh, shows showcase one of the, some of the stuff that we've been talking about, where games or um, game-like things have been used to change people's perceptions and behavior? 
when you mentioned apps, I think of like all those like running apps, mm -hmm. like you know, running away from zombies, mm -hmm. you know, or um, apps are the perfect place that we would gamify everything from counting calories to you know, uh, getting achievements or doing things or accomplishing goals. Right. Yeah. No, um, I, mean, I was just like it's sort of a classic example. I'm not sure how like apocryphal it is, but like supposedly like Monopoly was designed to demonstrate like that you know the like this financial system will basically ruin everybody it mm -hmm. did so by being a bad game but <laughs> right apparently designed by a Quaker woman to yeah. show the negative aspects of real estate land ownership essentially right, right? And it's supposed to be a terrible, you're supposed to have a terrible experience playing it, <laughs> except for just one person who's winning. And I think that was a, that's a great example of a goal that was achieved by the designer, but probably taken and yeah. ironically <laughs> turned around. Uh, right. Um, there, there is, um, I forget the name uh, of the company um, or the person who did it, but there's a company called Scavenger out of Boston, and they came up with 30 game mechanics. So they listed 30 different mechanics, starting from, uh, for example, the mechanic of set collection. People like to collect things. That's built in our behavior. And using that mechanic to do that stuff. Um, so it could be, um, you know, maybe to, to your example, getting people to walk more. Uh, so you have to walk to three different places where you can collect things and then get an achievement. What was that Pokemon one? Yeah, like, like yeah. the Pokemon thing. So, so it's using the set collection mechanic. Um, and, and there are other 29 different things. And it says if you want to, it's the, 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 the article is brilliant. It says if you want to achieve this behavior, these are the mechanics that you can use. So as the game designers, you can take a look at that and maybe if you're designing an experience or a game, that want to touch on these behaviors, then you can think about those mechanics. It's, it's scavenger with S-C-V-A-N-G-E-R or something like that. Um, also, another really good resource is if you're all in the local area, uh, in New York City, every year they have the Games to Change Festival, um, and that's a great resource for, for that. It's uh, two, three days of all of this and a lot more. What area? In New York City. At a hotel somewhere? In uh, and uh, it's usually hosted at uh, one of the universities there. Oh, okay. yeah. Are there times in your game design lives and experiences where you've come up on a social issue that you want to address but are, aren't sure how to do so? Just a question, I guess, in mind that is what's the balance between addressing a social issue through gamification and how much of it is quote unquote engaging in fun and how much of it is sort of speaks to the social change and where's that balance? I always think it depends on how it feels to players. Does it feel obvious? Then probably you're more on the side of you know information as opposed to the experience you're wanting to create. So to me it's like if the player doesn't feel like they're learning something, but they are learning something, you've hit the correct balance. Right. It's um, they have found that if you can do can a lot. Can oh, you give an example of something that you think achieves it? That is a very valid question. <laughs> um, so if I can jump in, yeah. one of the examples is Civilization, the, the sure. computer game. You're playing all the stuff, but while you're playing that, you're probably 
gaining a lot of information about historic figures and ages and, and so that's one level. The other level is uh, strategy thinking and, um, and um, what's the word for it? Um, so one of, one, of, one of the behaviors that you, you, you want to encourage people or children is to, take, to look at the long-term benefits and not just look at the short-term benefits. So strategy games like that where you have to pay attention to the long-term uh, really encourage this, that kind of uh, behavior, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's not a learning game. They don't market it as a learning game, but you're learning all, all those things while you're playing it. Yeah. Minecraft is another example. Um, they didn't, you know, now it's been used as educational tool all over, but yeah, it wasn't. Microsoft loves it. Right. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's very effective in any game where I have to do any sort of math, and that math is obfuscated in such a way that I'm able to do what I need to do. Um, but then I've learned something. And for example, at, we were working on Schrodinger's cats and uh, it balanced out really well for me. It taught me a mathematical concept that for whatever reason, I just couldn't rock onto. But once we play tested it and play tested it and play tested it, I finally understood and I got to the point where, you know, as I'm demoing the game, if I didn't focus on not winning, I could probably always win. From a tabletop, another example from a tabletop, uh, um, experience Camel Up, which was the Spiel des Schau winner for a few, few years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but a Camel Up is a board game where you have Camel Up, Camel Up, Camel Up, right? And you have little camels that you can stack on top of each other. Uh, the the premise is that you are there's a camel race and you're trying to bet on the winning camel. Um, so the the goal is to make the most money, and you can just play it, but there's a lot of probability concepts in it. Uh, not, not, not to encourage people to go gambling, but to, you know, it's a good tool for learning probability uh, as you're playing it and having fun. What about non-quantitative non orientation, like um, soft skills, emotional intelligence, you know, things like that? Have you seen any? Right. So. I feel like uh, that's a really tough nut, nut to crack, especially from board games, maybe a little bit easier than computer games, but I think LOBs are really good at doing that. Well, cooperative games. Or cooperative games, like where cooperative board games where you need to work with other people. Sometimes cooperative games will have a traitor uh, element in it where you can't trust people, but how do you get um, or sometimes they have shifting alliances where you have to kind of work sometime with some sometime, but you also have to look out for it. So those are different behaviors and feelings that you're trying to um, come across in the design. Um, but um, going back to LOBS, um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I'm really new to LOBS, so may maybe there are some more people people here who, who are more experienced with LOBS, um, maybe you can give us some examples of LOBS that touches that. But one thing that I find a, a very effective tool in LARPing that's getting more widespread, like my LARPing experience started out with like White Wolf, Rock, Paper, Scissors, and then Boffer LARPs, 
but now I'm getting an experience where before I enter the game, I'm given a set of criteria about what's okay and what's not okay and how to communicate when something isn't okay. And that is incredibly valuable for teaching emotional intelligence because even though it's very much like on the nose telling you what to do, if that's not a skill that's strong, hopefully as you go through those experiences a few times, you start to internalize some of those lessons about how to communicate effectively and how to be safe emotionally when you're having that type of communication. Yeah, exactly. And everybody knows what LOPS is, right? And, okay. Um, yes. So I just, but just in the spirit of sharing, the three of us are here with a game that's a character-based game, and we're trying to address some of the issues oh, okay. through the gamification of that. I mean, I don't want to turn it in, but if anyone's interested in, we still have several more sessions. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what sure. the game does? Yeah. Yeah, the it's, a, it's a card-based game, okay. and so it's about character qualities. And, and the idea is to, to help people develop their, their these positive qualities, these character qualities. And so we come from a professional background. I'm a psychologist. Okay. relationship coach and business person and we have all this content and what we're working on is the game mechanics and so we've chosen the card game as a platform and it's just you know people like the content and they start playing it in all different ways and they like doing that but we're having our time trying to nail down mechanics mm -hmm. in a way that is clear right mm -hmm. and so it's fun it, I think we're fun with it, but it's just like, you know, it gets a little crazy after a while. So um, I, I guess that, that's the, the key thing. It's like, what, what happens when you people love the content, but not the mechanics? Mm -hmm. Right. But the, but the part of our intent is the greater social change, right? right? To have people thinking in terms of how do I interact with everybody in every relationship from a base of, of trust and honesty and, and truthfulness and all of those qualities. And, and the feedback we've gotten is to be very upfront with that. To say, this is what we want you to do. We want you to focus on these character qualities. We want you to learn them. We want you to apply them. And we want you to do this. And so we've been trying to just make it fun and like make that an organic process. And like they don't know what they're doing it. But then they're going, the feedback we get is like, no, be honest with it. Tell us that's what you want us to do. That's the, that's the purpose of this. Right. I think there's, uh, I think there's uh, two sides to approaching that. On the one side, it's like the um, homework excitement uh, that you, you have to do, but right. you can make it a little bit more fun by adding some fun gamification on top of it. Mm -hmm. The other approach is that you're going to hide it and make it a stealth product where you're going to um, inst uh, feed this information, you know, this content without the player recognizing that it's there. And I, I think the second approach is, works much better, but much, much, much more difficult to do. And uh, usually it happens by, um, not by design, but by accident. I mean, I agree that the second way is going to be harder. I have a question for you, though. Are you trying to bring this into a classroom environment where you are allowed to be overt, or are you trying to pretend it's a family game or a friendly game, and then kind of subtly 
do the change because it depends on what your goal is because if you want to bring it to instructional community and say okay this is what this is and they're going to know it so it depends on what your goal what you're going for yeah very good point right so probably yeah. as a gamer if i'm going into store i probably won't pick this up for my fun game that i'm going to play with my friends but if, if it's a homeschool or whatever where you you want to teach that material you can use that as a tool um, I lost the track. Okay. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> kind of a prompt. I'm I'm seeing kind of two different directions that this is being approached from here, where you have kind of this ground up individual try to teach people emotional intelligence and consent and all of these things, and then you have this more uh, like systemic structural Pokemon Go kind of thing, where you're trying to get people broadly walking and you're trying to change systems and institutions. And I'm wondering. I don't know, I guess how you see the, the interplay of those kind of two approaches and if one, if there, if there are benefits to one over the other. So I think it depends on how you as a designer approach what you're doing. One approach is necessarily going to work for the way you think more than the other one and both have value. And again, it comes back to like, who's your audience, right? Like, who do you want to play this game? And are they a group who you think needs more overt instruction or do you think it's a group who would learn better from that like sort of hidden mechanic thing but both are super valid and it's just what works better for you as a designer what works better for your game what works better for your audience also one thing uh, that a lot of people shy away from but i personally think it's super useful is to let people be bad, to do bad things uh, in the safe game space because in the magic circle of the game space, this is where you can experiment and only, sometimes only if you do can experience a bad thing, uh, do the bad thing and see the consequence of it, can you s realize what it is. Uh, so games that allow you to explore that, I think, are really, um, effective sometimes and when I'm designing games I like to design games where you play the bad guy and see what that feels like. And again I come at it from the other side yeah. where I think for me there's more value empathetically teaching from a story direction, right? Like you have a one-on-one -on -one experience with a character and that character has thing like I'm explaining this very poorly, but basically it's like reading novels, right? Like you want to create compelling characters in your games if that's appropriate for the type of game you're making, maybe not so much for a card or a board game, but you want to create these effective NPCs in the world or PCs who your player can sort of learn from and take that one step away from who they are as a person, right? Like. I, I wouldn't want to put one of my players in a situation where I expected them to do a bad thing without having some space between them and the action because I want to give them that space to breathe and figure out what's going on here. Hopefully that was clear. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, I'm going to put you on the spot because you were telling me today about some of the LARPing experiences that you had where um, 
um, it, it, uh, it made you see some things that you didn't realize. You, would mm -hmm. you mind talking a little bit about Sure, fun? sure. Well, last year, we got minute to the via, I was playing. Um, Can you uh, stand up? I'm so would sorry. Would you mind standing up? Oh, stand. It's just a little oh. hard to hear you. Sorry. Oh, you can come no, up okay. here if you'd like. Oh, okay. Join the pound, So last year here at Metatopia, I was playing a game based on uh, a real situation in World War II. It was an, a LARP that I was playing. And we were a family. Um, and through the course of the game, um, uh, the, I had been given, I did not pick my role um, in the game, I was given the head father of the family, who was an alcoholic. And it was a little odd to me at first because my father was an alcoholic. Um, and as I played the game, I didn't play it like my father. Um, it was a very different kind of alcoholic to what I thought would fit in the scene. But there was a point in the game when I had to make I mean, it was a decision that basically was going to turn the entire, shift the game completely. Um, and I was so embodied in the character at that point that I just knew what I had to do. And when I made that decision, my logical me self was like, I would never do that. Um, but then I can empathize with the character. I was like, this is exactly what this character would do and why this character would do it. And it was like a light bulb moment and I just thought, I think I, wow, I think I get a lot more about where, what was going on with my father with his alcoholism and his inability to, to break away from that. It was just, I kind of got it in a way that, I mean, there were lots of things I analyzed about you know, over the years, but that one I had never had before. So, um, from, you know, I've been playing board games for a long time, all my life, really. Uh, LARPs are something new, but just from, you know, an unscientific observation, LARPs are really good at teaching emotional uh, intelligence stuff and, um, and also role-playing tabletop games, you know, where you have to work with other people. Yeah. Well, just also coming originally out of the vampire LARP, community and all that. They also run the risk of teaching you some very toxic traits very oh, yeah? quickly. Yeah, you absolutely. can be socialized in uh, that situation to accepting a lot of very bad things. Can you give me an example? Uh, I'm Sabat Larps are about being the anti-hero and you're embracing the monster. Everyone is supposed to be an asshole to everyone else. You have a group of people that for five years on a Friday, every other Friday night get together and are assholes to each other they end up being kind of shitty people. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's socialization, right, yeah. normalizing yeah. this behavior. Mm -hmm. So you have to be aware of things like right. that as yeah. well. It's, no, it's not just a positive. Oh yeah, um, behavior change goes in several directions. And as game designers, I think we have some responsibility, especially once we understand our craft better and better, you realize how much effect you can have. Um, you know, writing a book, you can affect it some way. Movies, probably a little bit more. Now with games where you're actually trying to program and have an effect in, into your behavior, that can
can potentially be like a dynamite if used well, and you know, we have some responsibility for that. Super agree. Are there other people here that have a lot of experience in LARPs? The reason I say that is because it'd be interesting because with the game that we're working on, it basically is almost like a deck of cards. Think of it as a deck of cards, and there's their character cards, their challenge cards, and the choice cards, and you could actually take those cards and create sort of a storyboard, a LARP around that, and create positive behavior. So it'd be interesting to talk to some people about where they see LARPs being used and affecting positive social change for issues, whether, you know, societal issues, individual issues, collective issues, and things like that. I mean, are there other examples where you've seen uh, LARPs used for positive social reinforcement or challenges? And on the other side, kind of re, you know, re-upped my faith in LARP potentially being a tool is uh, Jason Morningstar. You've probably heard his name tossed around here a little bit. What's the sort of name? Uh, Jason Morningstar. Uh, he, he demoed a game at Last Metatopia called The Line, which had a similar thing, whereas you were, you weren't actually Serbian refugees, you were, you know, on a space colony, but you were taking basically the role of a refugee family trying to get out of a particular zone, and you had to be interviewed by these other people that were playing characters that had phys logis physical, logistical challenges. And you had to learn, you basically ended up emphasizing empathizing with both sides of it, being like, okay, this I'm going to do everything I can to take care of my family, and these people have a physical reality of what they can actually do. Uh, a lot of the, the free-form LARP community is focused on LARPs with a social awareness component. I think they also are they the same as Nordic LARPs? Or is it uh, it's similar. Sim okay. I think it's I think it's free-form is basically the American term for it. <laughs> okay. What was the term you used? Nordic. 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 Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the different another form of LARP where it's about running around with um, fake swords and you know, <laughs> big having big battles yeah. and <laughs> which is a lot of fun as well. And that may that it's may right. yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. much except uh, less chance that someone might accidentally get stabbed or shot. <laughs> what time is it here? It is um, thirty five. Okay, great, yeah. great. We still have plenty of time. So do y'all have more questions for us? So what do you what do you see as the big social change issues that make sense to be addressing through games? Take your pick. I mean, yeah. all the problems that are out there today um, with, uh, has a social component to it. Um, and there are several games that are out there affecting one way or another. If you want to, take, if you want to think about Facebook ad manipulation, uh, that's social change in one direction. Um, so, like racism or yeah. anything? The nice thing about games is that the issue or issues can be addressed in a way that is a little fun, a little entertaining, to where it's not a lecture, to where um, like maybe you play a game that does build itself around a marginalized community in some way, 
but it doesn't present it in a way where somebody's talking at you, hey, this is going on. It just demonstrates how it's going on. And it does it in an entertaining way that you guys can get behind without actually having to combat it directly and go like this with each other, but just creating awareness. Games can do that in an entertaining way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, a lot of games are escapism. Um, people go to games to have fun, trying to get away from things. But something I've noticed is that games also present you with challenges that you can actually have a visible impact on, something that you can come away and say, I made a change here. And you can apply uh, real-life concepts to the gameplay where people can actually act through having an impact on that. And I feel like that has potential to have an impact on their everyday life, too, having faced it in this fictional environment um, and addressed it there kind of might break down some trepidation they would have about it dealing with it in real life. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, I, I personally view that games doesn't have to be entertaining, but they have to be engaging. Because sometimes, you know, it's not everything is not all fun. Yeah, so. I like that. I mean, that's, that's another thing that I always consider when I'm approaching a design project. Like, what is the type of experience that I want my player to have? Engagement speaks to mechanics. Does the core loop work? Does it does it make your brain want to go, yeah, let's play that again? But then when it comes to theme, it's all about like, what is the experience I want them to have? As a person, I generally lean towards, let's have a positive fun experience, but there's so much value in experiences that aren't that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect example, the political Facebook ads, they're not fun, but they're engaging and they they do their job. Super <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. Um, yeah, Carl. Um, what is it about gaming that you, that you think leads to it having such a huge uh, spread from the people who are trying to enact amazing social change um, on all kinds of fronts? And education and really using it to predict. To like, you know, I think it, the the really like vile sort of um, interreactionary stuff that we saw around gameplay, and then like sort of launching my through that. Because I guess I never really thought of gamers as that diverse group growing up, but it seems to have this huge diversity of like, you know, how. I think it's because our lizard brains like games. <laughs> like, as humans, we want to play things. We want to solve puzzles. We want to have repetitive experiences. And all of those feed into what games are. And so that leads to a huge diversity pool in the world of games because it's a very, very common human experience. And no matter what type of game you like, there's that similar aspect of, does it make my brain feel good? Yes, it does. And that's why I think that happened. Yeah. I think that with regard to, and you mentioned gamers as you know not being that diverse. I think it's just a, I think it's a larger classification of what a gamer is. 
kind of like LGBT started as LGBT, now it's LGBTQ, and there are two other new letters they've added on. But but it's a widening of what it means. So it's a widening of um, gamers and what that means. And I think most people are gamers in their own like a lot of people are gamers without necessarily thinking about it. I mean, my family in Louisiana play cards every single day because it stimulates their brain. Yep. You know, people play with numbers, they play with money, they play with, you know, web sheets, even if they don't play games, and we're just, they're just realizing that it's the same thing, and so, I, well, those people are, in fact, gamers on some level, it's just how they choose to interact with the term and the community. Absolutely, Tiffany, and to your point, I would even take it one step further, I think everybody is a gamer. Uh, they may not be playing the kind of games people think are games, but... The things that engage the brain, brain, you know, those are games. You can call it whatever you want, but I'm calling it a game or, you know, yeah. software for the mind. Yeah. yeah. Any, any other questions, comments? I just kind of wanted to piggyback on that. Yeah. I mean, games can be the great equalizer because, you know, I, we're not all on the same par level of being physically fit or the same size, or you know, there's a lot of things that make us diverse, you know, at the same point we could all be equally skilled at shuffling cards and handing them out to one another, or, or any game of chance, of course. So I think that's just, we're just always trying to find ways to communicate with one another or spend time, valuable time with one another, but games, if you can find the right game for the right group, that's just another way of doing so. So hopefully, yeah, building on what you said is that just that like, we're, we're so diverse actually, right. where we're trying to find common ground with Right. And I want to encourage, uh, when you think about a game, not think about the card game or the tabletop game or the lob. It's think of it as these little programs for the brain that can rewire it to do whatever it is. And um, now we're just at the baby stages of how to use that effectively. And probably the psychologists can give us a lot of examples. <laughs> and, of, right. and what do you want to do with that? That's the power that you have. So are you going to use it for good or evil, depending on what your view on what that is? I have two comments. One, it's LGBTQ. <laughs> I figured it out. Intersex and asexual. Yep. I didn't actually know what the last two were. I knew that there was a thing. Sorry, uh, guys. <laughs> quilt bag, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love quilt bag. <laughs> you learn something new. The other thing I was going to mention was um, uh, they had mentioned a lack of diversity, and with that, like with you know how it was perceived as one person, like a certain kind of person being a gamer, but I think that only in, really in the last fifteen years have communities. Have you seen women and men participating in any kind of things together? Not just gaming, but you know, the bringing together the different cultural types of groups, the mixing and matching. You know, the big Gamergate thing is just because culturally, in the last 20 years, all the different groups have been intermingling more. Mm -hmm. That might be the reason why. Too. Along with your forces of good and evil, and also the fact that there are all kinds of games out there that we don't know are games. There are forces of evil, or may not we call them, that, that are actually playing a game with you right now, oh, trying yeah. to reprogram your behavior in a certain way that they want. 
so in a way, you know, people in here are forces of good, hopefully, you know, to <laughs> reprogram them back <laughs> to the original, <laughs> to, to the more human aspect of uh, behavior. Yeah. Okay. Um, gamifying, calling your representatives to get people to do it. Has it been done? If so, where can I find it? If not, do I need to be the person to do that? That guy knows. <laughs> Amazing, please. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, I mean, like, I, uh, I, I worked on, I, I did digital consulting in, in DC. We, we did, like, the call Congress hotlines and stuff like that. Um, probably, like, the, the most gamified version like that right now is fivecalls.org. It was released right after, right after the election. Actually, not plugging something my old company did. That's a different group, um, and and it's like it's very, um, it's literally like there's like five issues, and there's like a different sort of like talking point or something like that, uh, like per day. Uh, daily action is another thing that that people get. That's like it's less gamified, I'd say, but it's like you get a, you literally get a text message every day at 10 a.m. 11 a.m. Uh, that um, gives you like some news thing that matters that you can call and it's like it's the same phone number every time but uh, you know whether you're connected to your house representative or your senate representative like it, the, the goal of a lot of those things is like with so many things coming at you every day especially now uh, it, it helps have somebody making that decision for like what am I going to focus on right now um, there's a lot of other things that are like it um, and like when I was doing this stuff, we were, there have been a lot of ideas to like gamify it more, like actually have like profiles and achievements and stuff like that, but like um, it was, it was hard to like, at, at our, at that point it was hard enough to get people to just do it, <laughs> that like we weren't even, we weren't even building that, but um, it's, it's definitely something that's been, that's been picking up as well. Five calls with the numeral five or with the word five? Uh, yeah, I think it's the numeral five okay. calls.org. It's not that, but it's definitely the other one. Another app is uh, Countable, and it basically turns into yes no surveys. But people do yes no surveys constantly. Like, you know, should it, do you think this, you know, yes, or yes on this thing, particular issue, or you know on this particular issue? That's Congress or whatever your representatives are voting on, and just by tapping yes, no, which you can do incredibly quickly, it sends an email to your representative for that particular issue. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not a hundred percent sure that Countable actually does that. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, so I've, I've received the thank you notifications from, from my representatives. From your representative or from Countable? From representatives. Uh, congressional representatives actually don't necessarily don't actually have not official all emails. Uh, so I, I'm like one of the things to, to look out for uh, with that like maybe it was another one that I was thinking about but like there are also things like this that are like gamified but they but they don't actually take that final step of like doing anything with that information there was one at least and, and for whatever reason I, I thought it was countable that like tallies these things and they advertise as like your representatives can log on to our thing and see how many people have signed up but they're not actually doing that last thing so like and I and this like I this applies to uh, like non-political games or something like that. Like there is there sometimes like is there a danger of like there being like a placebo effect almost um, in some of these things? I don't know if like um, like uh, 
you would get inured to the point that was trying to be made or um, you think that you're actually doing good and taking action because it's so easy but you're not is that kind of kind of yeah I mean like and I'm I'm jumping on that from the political point because I've, I've seen definitely some things like this that that did that or maybe that's a feature that they didn't have that they added or something like that um, but that that is a thing to be a you have to you, you do have to sometimes do some digging to find out whether the thing you're doing is actually doing the thing <laughs> that you think it's doing. Yes, yes, I would encourage you any app that you use that you think has a certain purpose that you investigate whether it completes that purpose oh, and, or not. And check where they're sending that data. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's that's yeah. So shall we wrap, wrap up? Um, so you know, with that in mind, we talked about. Um, Games, all sorts of games. We talked about the mechanics of teaching a game to play. One of the, um, and but we also talked about social games, and we talked about lobs. But um, one final thing that I wanted to say again is understand, but also to let other people know what a game is, and it may not be what people are thinking uh, when they think of a game. You know. To me, a game is a little piece of software for the brain, and um, there's a lot of power, there's a lot of danger, but um, it, people are starting to understand more and more about how to use it, and you know, I think it's a lot of fun. And um, keep feeding your lizard brain, because it wants challenge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank you very much.